Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 606 of the podcast and it is Friday the 25th of February 2022 as I record this. This is a special in between episode solo show on my lessons learned from rewriting my first novel over a decade later. But first I just I need to take a second to acknowledge what is happening as I record this today in Europe. Russia has invaded Ukraine and to be honest it's hard to talk about what are basically trivial things in the face of war, especially as the pandemic isn't yet over and the world is crazy enough as it is. And I got up this morning and I I planned to record this and I was just thinking I really don't want to record this because the world is just crazy. I mean, really, it's all these things are happening and people don't want to talk about the tiny, tiny aspects of editing. But then I remember that words can change things, that art can change things, that we can reach across borders and find a common ground with our stories. Words are powerful and sometimes they are all we have. Writing can help heal our wounds and work through our trauma, and our work can help those who don't have their own words to fall back on. Our stories can also be a virtual escape for people in difficult times, and all these things are important. Time will keep ticking on, the world will keep turning, the difficult times will not stop, (laughs) but hopefully they will also be punctuated by times of joy and peace and happiness and all those wonderful things. Your writing is important. So when you find yourself battered by these storms of life, whatever they might be, you will always have writing So I am going to talk today about some tiny trivial things and uh, that is writing. (laughs) So let's get into it. Lessons learned from rewriting my first novel over a decade later. In January 2022, I re-edited my first novel, Stone of Fire, which I started during NaNoWriMo in 2009 and published in April 2011. And the first uh, title was Pentecost, and I'll talk about retitling later. In this episode, I explain why and how I re-edited the book, as well as some lessons learned from revisiting my writer self of over a decade ago. This episode includes why I decided to rewrite when so much advice says never go back, how Stone of Fire developed from 2011 to 2022, my rewriting process, practicalities of publishing a new edition, and then craft notes from rewriting, including character, pacing, grammar and sentence structure, author voice, dialogue and more. And finally, was it worth it? (laughs) Which I know you'll be interested in. So first of all, Why I decided to rewrite when so much advice says never go back, just write another book. So first of all, there's nothing obviously wrong with the story. As I write this, Stone of Fire has 1,374 reviews, so 1,374 reviews on Amazon US, that's just the US store, with a 4.1 star average. And there, of course, are many more reviews on other stores and platforms and country stores. So clearly, readers enjoy it and have been reading it since 2011. But I know I can improve it. So Stone of Fire was my first novel, but it's also the first in my 12-book arcane action-adventure thriller series. It's my perma-free first-in-series ebook, the one I repeatedly put ads on to bring readers into my writing. It's pretty important for my fiction marketing efforts. Morgan Sierra, the main character of my arcane series, is also my alter ego. 
Sure, she's an ex-Israeli military psychologist, Oxford University professor and Krav Maga expert. And if you don't know Krav Maga, it's um, it's like an Israeli martial art and it's pretty cool. <laughs> but her thoughts are often my own, or at least represent some facet of my personality. Like me, Morgan is fascinated with religion and travels the world. But of course, I just visit exciting locations, whereas she investigates supernatural mysteries in each of the arcane thrillers alongside Jake Timber, her arcane partner, and the rest of the arcane team. And yes, there might be some uh, unrequited love interest between the two main characters. The advice from many writing coaches and experts and indie authors and authors in general is to leave your old series behind and write a new one. In this way, you can improve your work without rewriting old books and you learn the lessons and then you just start another series. But I can't leave Morgan behind and neither can my hardcore readers who love the Arcane series and demand a new one as soon as I deliver the next story. And uh, everyone who writes fiction in particular understands the challenge of launching a book, releasing a book, and then within within the same day, you'll get emails saying, when's the next one? (laughs) People read books a lot faster than we can write them. I've written other series, my Matt Walker fantasy trilogy, my Brooke and Daniel crime thrillers and various standalones. But in terms of action adventure books, I'm highly invested in Morgan and the Arcane team. The series appeals to fans of books like James Rollins' Sigma series, Steve Berry's Cotton Malone books, Lincoln and Charles' Pendergast and thrillers by Greg Beck or Greg Beck. (laughs) Matthew Riley, Ernest Dempsey, J. Robert Kennedy and R.D. Brady. And those that's kind of a mix of traditionally published authors and indie authors. They are action-adventure, conspiracy thriller with aspects of the supernatural and <laughs> international locations. I wrote them because I love these kinds of long-running thriller series and always set out to write something for the old me who used to read thrillers on the commuter train each weekday to a job I hated. And of course, I still read thrillers for fun and it's just what I like to read. Uh, but back then it was my escape from a job that I just I just couldn't see the point of and the golden handcuffs. And I've talked about my, my career change before, but uh, I basically used to go to the bookstore at lunchtime and just buy another thriller. Um, I couldn't get enough of them. So my writing has also improved after almost 13 years <laughs> and writing over 35 books. And that's 13 years of fiction. But of course, I've been writing since 2006, um, which I guess is sort of 15 years um, it, for writing in general, as well as taking all kinds of writing classes, reading many thousands of thrillers and learning my craft. Plus, I've worked with professional editors and proofreaders and now augment my craft with pro writing aid, which uh, I do just think is fantastic. I'll talk about that a bit more later. So since I won't just start another series, I decided to rewrite the first three books to bring them up to my current standard. Now, importantly, I'm not changing the story at all. The plot and the characters are the same. And if you read the book, you don't need to reread Stone of Fire or the other the other couple. But as I outline below in my craft section coming up, I've made a lot of changes for pacing, reader flow through the story, character depth and author voice. Now being an indie author simplifies the technical side of re-editing and re-releasing. I don't need to ask anyone's permission for a new edition. I just rewrite, republish and carry on. My plan is to rewrite the first three and I am in the late stages of Crypt of Bone, which is the second one, and then I have Ark of Blood to do. They are linked by the antagonists and also readers who get to book four tend to continue the series anyway. The read-through is much stronger once readers are hooked on Morgan and Jake's adventures. I also want to get on with the next book (laughs) and I don't want to spend any more time on older work at the moment. So I'm going to do those three and then stop. (laughs) But never say never. Maybe by 2035, I'll want to rewrite some more. How Stone of Fire developed from 2009 to 2022. 
I started the story during NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month in 2009, and then I joined the Year of the Novel at Queensland Library in Brisbane, Australia, where I lived at the time. So that was 2010 was my Year of the Novel. And it was essentially went, you know, and did classes every, I think every couple of weeks. And we had, we basically, the, the idea was to write that novel in that year. So I finished the draft and I worked with several professional editors that year of 2010. And <laughs> actually, if you go to the creativepen.com forward slash first novel and the show notes are full of links, that's one of them. And there are some amusingly old videos <laughs> that I shared during my time of writing that first novel. And it, I've left them. I'm slightly embarrassed, but hey, I, I try not to watch my old videos. They're super embarrassing. But there are videos from 2010 where I discover things like characters and dialogue and I'm very enthusiastic about things I I discover. But yes, so I finished the draft and edited it in 2010 and then uh, I self-published as Pentecost, the original title, in April 2011. So then I wrote two more arcane novels, Prophecy and Exodus, all under my author name Joanna Penn. So that was Pentecost, Prophecy and Exodus under Joanna Penn. Now those three, <laughs> those three original books and me as Joanna Penn, fiction author, don't exist anymore. So if you have any of those old copies, they truly are limited editions. But my early reviews proved a couple of things. Readers enjoyed the books. They have always had good reviews. Obviously, there's some bad reviews, but generally, overall, they've been good reviews. But the branding and the book titles and the covers looked like Christian fiction. Now, the stories are rooted in ecclesiastical history, biblical locations and myth, but I am not a Christian. Yes, I have a master's degree in theology and I am very well versed in a lot of this stuff, but I'm not a Christian. So the arcane thrillers are more like Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code in that they skirt the edge of religious myth and history, but are essentially global action adventure thrillers. So I needed to figure out how to reposition the books. Now, most authors struggle with this question of genre and market fit, and I struggled just as much as anyone else. And look, to be honest, I still struggle because I'm one of those cross-genre writers. Nothing fits clearly in any one box, and that's how I like it. <laughs> and I like books like that too, but it does make it more difficult. I also had a few reviews that mentioned my gender. For example, I can't believe a woman wrote this. <laughs> So I'm not because of a lot of explosions and fight scenes and stuff like that. Now, I'm not going to get into gender politics, but I don't want my writing to be judged by my name or my gender. So I switched my fiction author name to J.F. Penn. And I did, uh, I'll again, link in the show notes to A Tale of Two Author Brands, where I go into that in more detail. I started a new website, jfpen.com, and a new email list for my J.F. Penn readers. And that was a great decision. I have never regretted the decision to split my author names. I love having two author names. It helps me separate aspects of myself and it helps my audience know what they're getting. Yes, it's more work to manage two names, but it helps me switch my mindset. And I have almost completely different business plans for my two brands as well. And I go into that more in your author business plan. I have an example business plan for Joanna Penn and one for JF Penn. So during those early years, I met with a few agents who were interested in working together, one in the USA and one in the UK. They didn't work out ultimately, but they helped me with some repositioning and we parted on good terms. It is not uncommon for authors and agents to part ways. It's quite normal, in fact. It is a business relationship and it has to serve both parties. So in 2015, I rebranded the first three books as Stone of Fire, Crypt of Bone and Ark of Blood. I had new covers designed and also did a light edit at that point of Stone of Fire to add some more emotional beats than the original. And that's because <laughs> I really, I, I really, I'll talk about point of view later, but I definitely needed some more personal touches. Morgan was a bit of a um, terminator, I think, back then. <laughs> so... As I write this in, as I record this in late February 2022, there are now 12 arcane thrillers. They can be read as a series or as standalone stories, which is usually true of the kind of thrillers I read as well as how I write. Stone of Fire is now out in its new re-edited form, but the other two books are still in edits. 
You can get Stone of Fire as a free ebook on all the usual stores or download from my website um, if you've previously downloaded an older version. So if you have an older version on your Kindle or your Apple or your Nook or your Kobo or whatever, you can get a newer version from um, my PayHip payhip.com forward slash the creative pen and stone of fire is free so you can just download the latest version now whatever if you do have an older version check the copyright page and the um, latest edition has 2022 in the copyright years there are a number of years in the copyright and 2022 is the one you want to see there if you want to read the latest edition now, some authors worry about new editions and whether readers will be annoyed. But look, to be honest, most readers don't realise anyway, and the rest rarely care. I've never had an issue with rewriting and reissuing books, whether fiction or non-fiction. Well, obviously, I've done titles, <laughs> author name, different rewrites uh, over and over again over the last 15 years or whatever. So yeah, a lot of people ask me whether readers make a fuss. And if they do, look, uh, if someone does make a fuss, I'll just send them a free copy and that will be fine, basically. My rewriting process. Okay, so this is the step-by-step bit. There's a few more technical things in here. So first of all, I have obviously been updating the back matter and typos and small things since 2015 when I think it was 2015 when I also reformatted everything into vellum or that might have been 2016 but basically as soon as vellum came along I reformatted all my books into vellum and have done my ebook formatting since. Uh, So here are my technical steps for the rewrite. So first of all I went to my current vellum well my old my old current vellum file um, and exported a .rtf so that's a rich text format and you can just export that from vellum so that acted as my sort of starting point I saved then opened it and saved it as ms word a .docx then I imported that .docx into Scrivener And this became my new master Scrivener file, which I titled Stone of Fire 2022. And that and then basically I moved in my folder on my um, drive. I moved all my other um, Stone of Fire things to an old archive folder and I created a new folder for 2022. And that's now my master area. And I do this for all my books. I have these folders where the the latest, you know, that if there are multiple editions, the one with the latest year becomes the master and everything else is archived. So I know what I have and what is the latest copy. Then I opened ProWritingAid on my desktop. I'm on a Mac, but they also have one for um, PC. You can also, you can do it online, but if you have, have it actually on your computer, you can then open Scrivener within ProWritingAid. And this is why I love ProWritingAid. Now, this episode is not sponsored by ProWritingAid, but... <laughs> It might as well be because I completely love it. I, what, why I did this is because they have this score. They have on the, if you open it, if you open Scrivener within ProWritingAid, you get a score on the right-hand side for each chapter. So basically, I would open the chapter. The score was probably around 65 to 70%. And then the idea is to get the score over 90%. And that will... And as so as I went through, I was fixing some story things but I, and deepening things and writing more. But I was also fixing the stuff to improve my ProWritingAid score. Uh And all of that is based on different suggestions, which I'll talk about in the craft area coming up. But for pretty much all chapters, I took the score from to over 90%, which was an invaluable first step. And uh, remember, I do have an affiliate link to ProWritingAid. You can check it out at thecreativepen.com forward slash ProWritingAid. And I have a tutorial, which... um, I'll link to in the show notes or you can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash tools and all my tutorials are on that page. Okay so I worked on that manuscript every day or every working day and then when I had finished for the day I went to I then saved my pro writing aid closed that then opened the file in Scrivener exported sorry compiled from Scrivener into an msword.x again and then every day I do a draft I export I email it to myself and I save on Dropbox under a new t- uh, file with the, the date on so when I do a draft whether this is writing a new book or editing or doing this kind of rewrite I end up with a whole load of draft files all of which have dates on and that you know that means I never lose anything and touch wood I am touching wood in my audio booth 
I have never lost anything because I'm super, super organized and back up like a, you know, just I just back up all the time. Okay. Once all the chapters were completed, I exported from Scrivener to Word and printed out the draft. So I always edit by hand and then essentially I just scribble and delete and remove stuff and rewrite stuff. And that's what I do with my normal edits with a draft. And that's actually those drafts, which I've got, um, I'm not throwing away my drafts anymore, is I'm going to use those in my NFTs when I eventually get those out. I will, I'm, I'm actually considering just doing a one of one. NFT where you get the whole manuscript. So you get Stone of Fire, you get the full draft and you can see all my handwriting and all of this stuff because I I think there's a lot to learn from those. So I think that would be quite interesting. So once I finish that hand edit, I update the master Scrivener file with those edits. If I need to do it again, and I did with Stone of Fire, I printed it again, edited it again, but that time there were only minor issues and little changes. Then I run it through ProWritingAid one more time, then I export it again, and then I sent the manuscript to my new editor, Kristen Tate at The Blue Garret. Kristen Tate at The Blue Garret, if you're interested. Uh, My previous editors have moved on over the years, as they do, that is such is life, and it is a natural thing to work with new editors over time. Now, Kristen did a great edit with track changes on the MS Word with comments, line edits. She also created a new style guide uh, with character notes and everything, which we'll be using going forward across the whole series to make sure everything works, you know, is styled right across the series. I then went through the word edits and accepted or rejected and changed things. And then Kristen checked it one more time. I then imported the final MS Word doc into Vellum, formatted and published the ebook and then sent the files to my designer for print formatting. So even though you can do print through Vellum, I have been using a print formatter uh, for years. So um, and I like the design. So we just reflowed that new manuscript into the existing design. And I, again, I have tutorials for Vellum formatting and also other formatting. If you go to thecreativepen.com forward slash formatting, you can find options there if you're on a PC because Vellum's Mac only uh, and there's lots of people who can help. So that's basically how I did the technical side. So let's talk about the practicalities of publishing a new edition. So I never used an ebook ISBN for Stone of Fire uh, back in the day. I mean, I didn't use ISBNs for about eight years or maybe even a decade. I mean, realistically, I've only been using ISBNs, uh, I think, I think, I think 2016, maybe it's hard to remember, but, uh, so basically Stonify never had an ebook ISBN. So I just uploaded the new edition with updated copyright, uh, information onto the ebook stores. So I literally just uploaded a new file for all the ebook stores. Now I always use a date in my file name. So I always know when I updated the file last time and I've updated this stone of fire, fire, f- stone of fire file multiple times over the last decade with minor edits, changes to title cover, back matter, uh, etc. So updating files is a normal part of the indie author business and including dates in your file can help keep track of when you upload new versions. So I always know when I go to any um, store, whether it's Amazon or Kobo or Apple or whatever, it will be Stone of Fire underscore 2502.22, for example. So 25th of February 2022. And yes, British people put the month second (laughs) after the day. So I know that I'll always know when my last files were updated. And that that is a recommendation for you. If you don't do that normally, then I recommend doing that because seriously, you will change your files over time. Now, I did use new ISBNs for the print editions. So I unlinked. So on KDP Print, for example, all the editions are sort of linked now, but I unlinked the old editions, unpublished the old editions at KDP Print and Ingram Spark. Then I published the new editions and linked them to my author name through author.amazon.com. And uh, at the moment, those other print editions are going through on Ingram Spark. So essentially, the print editions do have new 
new ISBNs and the old the thing is you can never get rid of older editions what you have to check if you're look if you're going to buy say one of my paperbacks is what is the year this was published uh, and you literally you can't stop that happening but what this means is there are no print on demand copies anymore they will have to be second hand print editions of those older versions so the copyright page has all the years that the changes were made, more than just a typo, that is, and also previously published as Pentecost. So that is clear in the book. Now, the audiobooks are now so out of date. Uh, so I've unpublished the first three books. Uh, well, I say that right now I've just unpublished Donor Fire, but I will be unpublishing the first three books and the box set. And I will consider getting new editions produced later. But at the moment, it's just too expensive. So I'm going to wait to see what I want to do about that. But basically, it's not a big deal to, well, I say it's not a big deal. There are some real practical things you have to do to publish new editions. But once you've done it, then it's sorted and it's fine. Craft notes on rewriting. So there is an anecdotal saying amongst writers that after a million words published, you might know what you're doing, <laughs> or at least you have a better idea of what to improve next. So I recommend Stages of a Fiction Writer, Know Where You Stand on the Path to Writing by Dean Wesley Smith if you want to assess where you are. It is no doubt some tough love. <laughs> Dean is famous for tough love, to be honest, but uh, I find that book very useful. Now, I have published several million words now, most of those since I wrote Stone of Fire. Plus, I've spent a lot of time improving my craft since then. These are some of the things I fixed in the rewrite. First of all, increased depth of character, emotion and character point of view. So depth of character is all about point of view. And although I understood that each chapter needed a point of view, so I was like, okay, this chapter is written from Morgan's point of view. It was clear in my writing that I had not sunk deep enough into each person and that perhaps in those early days, I didn't quite understand point of view. For example, I, I wrote, Morgan saw that the door was open, which can become the door was open. Because if I'm in Morgan's point of view, I can write from her frame of reference. And Morgan won't say Morgan saw. I wouldn't say Joanna saw. I just say the door was open. So uh, another example, Morgan thought that perhaps Jake might need help becomes Jake needed help. So also the use of thought, so Morgan thought in that example, or including thoughts in italics, isn't usually necessary because the chapter should be, or the scene should be, in the point of view of the character. I also increased depth and emotion by including more detail about the character response to a situation and their internal reaction rather than just their external action. So we read in order to get an insight into someone else's life, to experience something vicariously and understand and understanding their point of view is part of the joy of reading. So in early drafts, Morgan would react with action and movement, but the reader didn't really know why, because I didn't write that. <laughs> you might hear this kind of uh, situation described as stimulus response in some writing craft books, but it's really a case of something happens and then the character responds both physically with action, but also internally. So I think I was also able to write more emotionally because after 12 arcane books, I know my characters so much better. So I have series characters, Morgan, Jake, others like Father Ben, who's a sort of mentor figure, Martin, who's like Q in Bond and others. And they are more real to me now. So I find myself, I found myself reading bits of Stone of Fire going, Morgan wouldn't do that or Jake wouldn't say that. And I couldn't have known those things a decade ago because I have never been, I'm a discovery writer and I've discovered my characters through 12 novels. <laughs> so again, if you want to develop this area, I recommend, and again, Dean Wesley Smith taught me a lot of things. I recommend the Depth in Writing and the Advanced Depth Courses by Dean Wesley Smith at WMG Publishing. Again, links in the show notes. In terms of books, 
Check out Writing Unforgettable Characters, How to Create Story People Who Jump Off the Page by James Scott Bell and Nail Your Novel, Bring Characters to Life by Roz Morris. And Roz and James, Jim, have been on the show a number of times over the years. If you go to thecreativepen.com, you can uh, search the site for things like characters and there's lots of uh, episodes. So the next thing is I leaned in to my author voice. Now, it's very annoying in the early years. I know this because craft workshops and books talk about finding your voice. You must find your author voice. But the reality is it's more likely you will uncover it slowly rather than kind of forcing it to emerge. So when I started writing, I was afraid to let people see what was inside my mind. I've always struggled with fear of judgment as my biggest thing. I'm still, I still struggle with fear of judgment and I'm a people pleaser a lot of the time. I want people to like me, to think I'm useful. I'm a good girl and an excellent member of society. I pay my taxes early. I am that kind of person. (laughs) But JF Penn is not so much like that. And I needed time to discover that darker side of myself. I needed time to stop self-censoring. J.F. Penn is my rebellious side, my inner goth, the taffophile who loves visiting crypts and ossuaries as well as cathedrals and galleries. J.F. Penn writes about good and evil, right and wrong, angels and demons, and she loves a fast-paced explosion book or movie with her high body count. (laughs) So at points in Stain of Fire, I could see glimpses of my future author voice, but I needed to lean into it further. I could sense my early writer self backing away from what I really wanted to say for fear of being judged as too dark or too strange or, you know, too imaginative. But now I embrace my weird, (laughs) I embrace my voice and you'll certainly feel a JF Penn book far more in my later work. But now I'm trying to fix that in the early books. The next thing was improving the pacing. So the first edition of Pentecost was written more like a literary novel with long sentences, long paragraphs and a lack of thriller pacing. But after reading many thousands of thrillers in the last decade and studying pace in particular, I have made a few specific changes. I used more line breaks, more paragraph breaks, shorter sentences in specific areas of the book, sentence fragments and faster dialogue. This increases white space on a page, which means it's faster for the reader's eye to cross the space and they have to turn the page to get to the rest of the story. James Patterson talks about this in his excellent masterclass and I also recommend Dean Wesley Smith's Pacing Workshop. And I always remember that Pacing Workshop, I remember Dean saying, hit the return key. So, When you hit the return key, obviously the cursor goes to the next line and that's the thing to think about if you want the reader's eye to skim faster over the page. And if you compare that to a literary fiction novel, you'll get a lot more dense text on the page. And uh, I talked to um, Rishi Dastidar earlier this year about poetry and about layout on the page, but actually it's just important to think about layout on the page for fiction, for non-fiction, because reading is visual. Obviously, you're listening. (laughs) Audio is not visual, surprisingly. But when you're doing the, you can do pacing in a different way, obviously, audially. Uh, But for audially, orally, hourly. (laughs) Oh, dear. I hope you're enjoying this session, by the way. And this is where I go off piece and stop reading from my script. And it clearly shows. (laughs) So going back to what I was saying, So I also broke scenes across the end of chapters and then the reader, if they want to know what happens next, they have to turn the page and start a new chapter. This is more easily done when you finish the whole book, since most of us tend to write in scenes rather than chapters. So uh, I'm not going to get into this now, but I learned this from Story Engineering, Mastering the Six Core Competencies of Successful Writing by Larry Brooks. And scenes versus chapters is uh, sort of, again, an important part of structuring the finished book as opposed to the story itself. 
I also changed the order of some scenes to vary pacing. So, so there were some slower paced chapters in between scenes of action to give the reader a respite. However, Stone of Fire is an action adventure thriller, so does need to move at a decent clip. I also found that I'd use dates and timestamps a lot in the early editions, sometimes several times in a chapter, as well as other timeline details. And this is because I'm a discovery writer. Uh, but actually, I could remove those timeline aspects without impacting the story in this draft. They were important in the structure to make sure everyone was where they needed to be at the right time, but they didn't need to be so obvious to the reader. I could indicate morning by early sunlight or the passing of time with a mention of next day or other phrases. I didn't need like 70732 you know, to sort of timestamp things. That actually felt over-engineered when I read it this time. I also reduced research info dumps. <laughs> now I love, 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 love my research. One of the main reasons I write fiction is so I can go deep into research, find real world events, places, artifacts and people and spin them into story. But too much research in the text can slow the pacing and may cause the reader to skip over parts of the story. But equally, one of my hallmarks as J.F. Penn, part of my author voice, is sparking curiosity in the reader to find out whether things are true. Now, many of my fans email to say they Google things to find out what is true. And they love my author's note at the back of the books with the inspiration and, and uh, things about what's true and what's fiction. So it's a fine line in terms of what to leave and what to edit and what to remove completely. Now, what I did find is that I'd repeated the same information within the book and it was like bashing the reader over the head with it because I kept telling different characters the same thing, thinking that, well, that character didn't know that, so I must tell the same thing again. But not every character needed to know all that information and it was the reader I needed to ensure had the information at the right time. And I could just uh, sort of you know, Morgan told Jake what was happening or, you know, Morgan recapped the situation or whatever it was. So I didn't have to tell it all over again. I could just use a phrase to kind of shrink that down. I also gave too much away too early. And what I needed to do was open questions in the reader's mind and hold information back so they didn't know everything right away. They needed to read on to solve those open questions and keep turning the pages. I changed passive voice to more active writing where appropriate. Now, this is an extremely common issue with new writers, and especially those of us who have been in the world of legal or business writing, where hedging your bets rather than making strong statements is a good way to protect yourself. But then when this comes through in fiction, it does sound uh, passive. For example, the statue of St. James was surrounded by pilgrims becomes Pilgrims surrounded the statue of St. James. Now, you might phrase it the other way for different reasons, and there are good reasons to use passive voice in some situations. But as ever, it's a fine line that you learn with experience and writing tools like ProWritingAid help immensely because they essentially say, this is passive voice, do you want to rephrase this? And what it meant is that I examined each situation and then decided whether or not in that situation it should be passive voice and if it didn't need to be. And I, again, I really wish I had had this tool when I started out. I also resolved dialogue issues. And this is an interesting, <laughs> all of these are complex craft things that you have to make your own decisions about. But some craft books say, and I think these are early craft books, really, some craft books say you should ever only use basic dialogue tags, like Morgan said, Jake said. But that advice is dated in the world of increased audio consumption. It is very obvious when a writer uses repetitive words like this in an audiobook because the narrator has to read what's on the page and it literally sounds ridiculous. <laughs> so please don't repeat words like said too much. But equally, you don't have to replace them with interjected or spat or whispered. Or those, although those could be good options if the story demands it. The best thing to do is replace dialogue tags with character action. Morgan walked over to the window and looked out at the sparkling blue water. The key is out there somewhere. We just have to find it. 
So in that case, I haven't said Morgan said, but we know that Morgan said it because the character action is with the dialogue. So the Emotion Thesaurus, A Writer's Guide to Character Expression, is a great resource for matching character action with emotions. For example, Morgan was angry, or Morgan said angrily, becomes Morgan slammed the mug down on the table, her knuckles white with tension, followed by the dialogue. Another new writer issue is using too many names in dialogue, and this was a fun one to edit. <laughs> Obviously, this, this example didn't happen in my text, but I, was, I just thought it was funny. How are you, Morgan? said Jake. Thanks for asking, Jake. I'm fine, Morgan answered. <laughs> and seriously, if you read an early novel uh, from many people, it will have that kind of thing in. And seriously, too many names. How many of us go around talking to each other using the name in the dialogue? Most of us do not use names in dialogue unless there's more people in the room and we need to direct dialogue to one particular specific person. So the main thing is to make it clear who is speaking. The reader has to know who the dialogue belongs to, but you don't have to bash them over the head with it. I rephrased, started to and began to. Uh, I had a lot of these, like beginning to and starting to, he began to pray, became he prayed. She started to walk to she walked. She said with a whisper, to she whispered. Now, again, you can use these phrases, but I found that I overused them. I also checked every use of words like actually, really, very, suddenly, and changed obvious cliches to something more original. And we all have our writer ticks. And if you look at these words, I mean, a word like very, I think is difficult because there are very few... (laughs) occasions where you want to use the word very, uh, but I find that it can get overused and I certainly overused it. So I edited those. I also edited for audio. So I've learned a lot about writing for audio over the last decade. And these days I narrate my own short stories as well as my own nonfiction. And I am far more sensitive to repetitive sounds, not just repetitive words. For example, the words you, blue, tattoo and interview all start and end with different letters but they look and they look different on the page so if you are editing on paper you might not realise that for audio they strike the same note on the ear they have different meanings they're different very different words but they strike that same note the ooh you, blue, tattoo, interview and it sounds crazy when you if you're uh, an audiobook listener, you really notice these repeated sounds. Now, repetition is obviously important when you have a point to make and can be used stylistically. But that example, uh, you know, could jar the listener if you do it too much. Hence the said, said, said isn't, you know, repeated sounds are just as important is what I'm trying to say. Repeated words are also an issue and as writers this often happens because the word is in our head already because we've just used it and then we reuse it without thinking. For example, Mario led them around the side of the building and in through a side door. So the the repeated use of the word side is not necessary. Um, I could have just, I, I could say Mario led them around the building and in through a side door. You don't need the same word twice. Now, in many of these repeated word examples, I use thesaurus.com, which I just have, I just open on my phone and I'm just using that all the time to find a better word. And in terms of writing for audio, there's a chapter on this with a lot more detail in Audio for Authors, Audiobooks, Podcasting and Voice Technologies by Joanna Penn. (laughs) Okay, I also rephrased disembodied body part action. (laughs) So what do I mean by this? Well, this is a surprisingly common issue. Once you're aware of it, you'll see it everywhere. Her hands held him down becomes she held him down. Morgan's eyebrows raised in surprise becomes Morgan raised an eyebrow. Her mouth whispered a prayer becomes she whispered a prayer. His eyes were fixed on the screen becomes he gazed at the screen. (laughs) Seriously, disembodied body parts doing things. That's what you've got to remember. You will remember this forever now. I also rephrased some things for inclusivity and 
checking diversity. Now, I'm British, so I have a keen sense of hierarchy. That is part of our national identity. And if you watch The Crown on Netflix, you'll understand why. Now, when I wrote Stone of Fire, I still lived in a hierarchical office world and I found phrasing in my edit that I would not use now. And that has changed in the cultural shifts of the last decade. For example, I had one character in an office addressing another as Sir. <laughs> they were not in the military. <laughs> and I, was, I read it going, oh my goodness, I definitely had some issues back then. <laughs> I also had some gendered language that I made gender neutral. Mankind became humanity. Policeman became police officer. Now, obviously, gender is important and you get to choose genders of your characters. But uh, in those occasions, it's fine to make it gender neutral. Now, ProWritingAid has an inclusive language filter that helps identify phrasing that might need revisiting. Although, of course, again, this is not a political show and it is up to you as the writer to fix what you think is appropriate. I did make a few edits to make the story more up to date in terms of technology. Now, I wrote Stone of Fire in 2009 to early 2011 and it included technology that has changed. <laughs> I used smartphone <laughs> and I, I, I still struggle with smartphone because to me it is a smartphone but I have changed smartphone to phone. I also used minicopter. I'm like minicopter that's crazy. Now I changed that to drone which of course we know what drones are whereas minicopter I think it was because back in 2000 I guess 2010 when I wrote that scene drones were not um happening is sort of mainstream and but people did have those little toys that you could you know remote control helicopters um but yeah so I changed that to drone I also had some dates that things like I knew your parents 30 years ago and had uh, a date in it so I removed dates and also had some in the future uh, oh no I think it was in 2012 there was the Mayan apocalypse pr prophecy and I'd referred to that but of course 2012 was after I published but now it's in the past so I had to change that kind of thing so removing dates in general to try and make your story evergreen I also wrote about a prototype virtual reality library for the arcane investigators to use in their research and it was it was quite a clunky description of what I imagined this VR thing to be but of course now we live in a world where VR is becoming more common so I didn't completely rewrite that but I got rid of some of that clunky language and of course all of that reduced the word count and crazily and I didn't go into necessarily cut word count but all of those changes reduced the word count from around 72,000 words to nearer 55,000 words which is actually the usual length for my arcane thrillers so I, was, I was thrilled about this because 55k as, as one of my novels it's fast-paced and that's it was just funny because it fit the same and I'd managed to keep the story intact but change it so it moves a lot faster now, I think what happened, because there were definitely some scenes that were padding, which I removed. Originally, I was told back then that a thriller had to be over 70,000 words to be publishable. And when I originally started writing fiction, I didn't really know what I was going to do with the book. I, you know, And I was in this course at a library where it was all aimed at traditional publishing. And so I think I wrote that to be over 70,000 words and added in some scenes that I would not add now. But uh, yeah, the digital revolution, revolution back then was in its early days. And so I removed those that padding. And I wish that some other authors would remove some of their padding. I mean, I read a lot of thrillers, as I said, and some of them clearly padded for traditional publishers. Um, and this is, this is because of the physical spine size on a shelf, the sort of feeling is that a that you need a decent sized physical spine in order to stand out but you know most books are bought online whether they're physical or digital now uh, in in um, the UK US etc for sure and so spine size is not so important right to the conclusion was it worth it <laughs> So all of this might seem a lot of work and it was. It was uh, a month really of working a few hours a day to re-edit and republish Stone of Fire. But to me, it was worth the effort. 
I'm now re-editing Crypt of Bone. I've almost finished that and the issues are similar, but it's actually taking less time because I improved between books one and two and I still need to go through Ark of Blood and uh, that will be it for now. I can then re-release the box set, which is the first three ebooks, and I also do a lot of promotion with that box set. And then I will see what the effect of the changes are on my read-through to the rest in the series. Now, I think I will report back on that in my 2022 year-end roundup. I'll be able to do some figures by then and see if it actually made a difference to income and whether doing the promotions on those early books bring people into the rest of the series because clearly with a 12 book series I should be making good money on that now I make some money on that but I would like to make more money on that now even if it doesn't increase read through it has been well worth the effort to solidify my craft provide new story ideas because as, as I've been going through, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. I should spin that off. Uh, I've also had loads of ideas for limited editions and NFTs. Plus, I have more examples for how to write a novel. Now, my course, How to Write a Novel, is uh, available at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn. And I'm intending, <laughs> I'm still intending to turn that into a book this year. And now I feel much more confident in my fiction writing craft and able to move forward into new stories. So only you can decide whether such a rewrite is useful for your situation. It's certainly not for everyone. I would also say don't do it too early. If you've just written a first novel a couple of years ago, then definitely wait until you've written a ton more books before going back to do rewrites because you want it to be uh, a proper sort of distance between your old self and your new self. So yeah, definitely worth it for me. So if you want to read Stone of Fire, remember you can get it for free on all the usual platforms. The ebook, you can also get it at payhip.com forward slash the creative pen. Please check the copyright page has 2022 on it to make sure it's the latest edition. Print copies are currently on Amazon and filtering out through the other services. And uh, I've put the new ISBNs in the show notes so you can always use that to search. I, as I said, I'm going to wait for the new audio editions. I'm still thinking what to do about that. The rewrites of Crypt of Bone and Ark of Blood should be completed by the end of April 2022. So depending on when you're listening to this, uh, they might be done. (laughs) If you enjoy the books, there are 12 in the Arcane series. So you could always start with like, you know, book 12. (laughs) They can be read out of order. Absolutely. They're not they don't they can be read as standalones um and uh we'll do a craft comparison <laughs> readers uh, writers are the worst readers because we're so picky <laughs> right so i hope you found this episode useful i would love to know what you think do you have any questions or lessons learned from your own rewrites or any mindset issues about rewriting, which is a a big deal, I know. You can leave a comment on the show notes. Uh, Remember, thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 606. Or on the YouTube channel. Or you can tweet me at thecreativepen with a double M or email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. So next Monday, I'll be talking to Johnny B. Truant about pivoting on the creative journey. Many of you will know Johnny from the old self-publishing podcast, which became the Story Studio podcast. And I met Johnny way back when I first got into blogging in 2008. I did one of his early courses and uh, I even went on the Wayback Machine and ribbed him a bit about it. And we talk about the creative choices Johnny has made and how it's led to success as a writer. Excitingly, his novel series Fat Vampire is in production right now for TV. So it is a fantastic discussion and I loved catching up with Johnny. And I think these longer term creative pivots are so important to learn about because inevitably we all change. And you've heard in this episode how I've changed since I first started writing fiction and Johnny is the same. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.